Good evening. It is good to be together this evening. If you would, be open your Bibles to Matthew, the 28th chapter. Matthew, the 28th chapter, and in just a moment, we will continue our study from this morning of the Great Commission. I want to encourage you as we think about this morning's lesson to go, to realize that one of the opportunities that you and I have several times a week is literally to just go down the end of our pew or maybe to a pew in front of us or behind us and greet guests. And it is a tremendous way to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, I've never been a part of a congregation that comes anywhere close to having the number of guests pass through the front door. God blesses us richly with that opportunity. Sunday night at 5.15, there's going to be a group gathering in the fellowship area, and they're going to be talking about the visitor experience. And they're going to be talking about ways that we can do that the best that it can be done for God's glory. It's not just simply about us being our best, but it's even beyond that to say this is eternal. It's important. When someone has an interest and a searching for God upon their heart, and they decide to pass through these doors, we want them to find God here. We want them to find God's love, God's embrace. We want them to find a welcome that Christ would give. And we want to make sure that we build a relationship with them that will bring them all the way through the process of the Great Commission. And so if you have a heart for that, it'd be wonderful if three or four hundred were there Sunday night. Uh, I know that's kind of embarrassing because that would only be about half of us here, but at least if several hundred were there, uh, that, that we would gain great interest and have a tremendous impact on a regular basis of what we could do to make a difference within our four walls. Now, obviously, living the Christian life is so much more than just inside these walls, but definitely this is a place that it ought to be lived. How would you feel if someone invited you into their home and then when you walked in, they didn't say anything to you? We constantly invite the community to come into our house constantly give that invitation. We're not doing something right if they're not given a warm, warm welcome. We simply want to do in the Lord's house better than what we would do in our own homes. And so be a part of that meeting Sunday afternoon and look forward to us working together to make everybody's visit to this congregation a great success for God's glory. I'm excited about that. I look forward to seeing uh, the good that will come out of that. We had a wonderful day last Sunday. Don Humphrey did such a wonderful job delivering a lesson. I was at Freed Hardeman Sunday night, and I had three or four different people walk up to me at the lecture ships and say, you're at Mount Juliet, yes? Isn't that where Don Humphrey goes? Uh, he's known all over and appreciated and loved all over, and, and Sandra too, and they are such a blessing to the Lord's kingdom, have been uh, for a lot of years before they came to Mount Juliet and still continue, and the great work in Sudan is just an amazing work. And we also appreciate Laura Jenkins and what she did in planning for our young ladies last Friday night, the father-daughter banquet 
And it was a tremendous time. It was just such an encouraging time. And uh, we appreciate Philip emceeing that event. And we appreciate Walt Lever coming over and speaking of that. Many of you would know him perhaps from Brentwood Hills. And more of you would probably know him from his days at Antioch. He did a tremendous job reminding our young ladies about the story of Esther. And he's an appropriate speaker for many reasons, but perhaps one of the reasons that's most appropriate is he is the father of four daughters. And one of those daughters is here. We're thankful that Laura Roselle and her husband Seth are a part of this congregation, their family. And it was a wonderful, wonderful time together. This coming Sunday, seven days from today, this coming Sunday, we have, to me, is one of the most exciting days uh, that we have each year. We've only, this will be only our second time to do it, and hopefully we'll never stop doing it until the Lord comes again. And uh, that is that we will invite back all of our young men and young ladies that are majoring in Bible. They have given their time in college to say, we want to study Bible. We want to be able to leave college and do a greater job uh, in ministry. And uh, the young men will be speaking in the early service, the late service, and the evening service. Bible classes will continue as normal except in the ladies' Bible class. And two of our young women uh, will be teaching that particular Bible class. And we are thankful uh, for the good that these individuals are doing right now in their life. And we're prayerful and hopeful about the good that's going to come throughout their lifetime. And we simply want to be a congregation that constantly is producing tremendous uh, ministers and preachers and, and Bible class teachers and missionaries. And we want to do our part to encourage them in everything that they are doing. As we think about this great commission, if you have your Bible open, I'd like for you to notice again verse 16 and 17. We studied verse 19 and 20 quite a bit this morning. But look again at Matthew the 28th chapter. Look at 16 and 17. Then, this is leading up to the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. That's an interesting phrase right there. A place where Jesus had appointed for them. This wasn't, this wasn't a freak meeting. This wasn't, oh, that's unusual. I didn't expect us to see each other here. This was exactly what God, uh, what Jesus had planned upon. And it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, so what, what's he going to say? That's the first thing that's recorded here. The first place he's going to begin at this appointment that was set ahead of time, the first place he's going to begin is by reminding him of his authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. When I think about this, not to make light of the scripture, but when I think about this, I think about those action-packed movies where where you have the, the hero, the, the main character of the movie, and, and you know, he, he's usually dressed kind of sharp, and, and as he's on his way to an important meeting, he runs across bad guys that are hurting a lot of people, and, and single-handedly he protects 60 or 70 people, and he takes on 8 or 10 bad guys, and he gets the best of them, and, and his car blows up, and he gets himself up, and he catches a bus, and he gets to the meeting just about a minute after it starts, and he's looking all nice and walks in and says, sorry, a few things came up. And you know, and you look at that and you say, okay, there's a guy that knows how to keep an appointment. No matter what happens, he still makes his appointment. Do you realize what we've just read? We just read about an event. When we go back a little bit earlier, and we'll do this in just a moment, Jesus had made this appointment. You say, well, what's the big deal? Jesus is going to be betrayed after this appointment. 
Jesus is going to be arrested, persecuted, crucified, and die. Well, I'm sure the ones that he made this appointment with, they probably were thinking, well, I guess we won't be meeting Jesus in Galilee. (laughs) You know, he told us the other day to meet him in Galilee. He's dead now. Oh, no. This man keeps his appointments. He's resurrected. And where does he go? He goes exactly to the place that he said he was going to be at precisely the time that he said he was going to be there. Now, friends, this is important. I need to realize that Jesus always keeps his appointments. And Matthew, the 26th chapter, drop back just a few pages there in your Bible. Matthew, the 26th chapter, this is a time just before he was arrested. And notice what he said in in 31 and 32. He says in 31, Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Here he is. He's saying, listen, there's going to be a lot of things that happen, but just know, I'll even go to Galilee before you get there. Meet me in Galilee. When we go over to the 28th chapter, look at verse 7. The 28th chapter, verse 7. This is at his resurrection. He's resurrected. He meets Mary. What does he tell Mary? Look at verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead. Indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. He's resurrected. And what is he saying? Keep that appointment. I've told you I'm going to Galilee. Keep that appointment. Look at verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. What's the point? The point is Jesus always keeps his appointment. What's another appointment? Well, some people look at the coming of Jesus Christ. That's another appointment that he has promised that will be kept. And because a few years have gone by, they treat it like it's not going to happen. Now think about this for a moment. Is it going to happen or is it not? Will Jesus keep his appointment of the second coming? What if I told you right now he's coming at 8.15 tonight? How would that change your life, your heart, your commitment? What if we said at 8.15 tonight Jesus is coming and he always keeps his appointments? Now you know that I know that we don't know if it's 8.15 or not. But friends, it's no different than the fact He is coming. But sometimes we allow this long length of time to make us think, well, maybe it's not really happening, or maybe it's not important if it does happen. You remember in Second Peter, look at Second Peter, the third chapter, this very thing was what was being discussed. That is whether or not the Lord keeps his appointments. In Second Peter, the third chapter, we'll scan some things. Look at verse three and four. There were scoffers. There were ones that they weren't walking in the way that they should walk. And they were saying in verse four, where is the promise of his coming? Now, there's several verses we could read that answers about where's the promise of it coming. Keep in mind, scoffers. (laughs) He says he's coming again. Where is he? I'm looking at my watch. He hasn't been here. Not only for hours, he hasn't been here for days. He hasn't been here for years. He's not been here for decades. You think Jesus is really coming again? I don't buy into that. Does Jesus keep his appointment? If he says he's coming again, is he going to come again? And this is the way Peter answers. Look at verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this. One thing. 
that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but it's long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then the very next verse starts about Jesus coming. It's going to be like a thief in the night in the sense that we're not going to know exactly when it is, but that doesn't change the fact that it's happening. And just because there's been a long period of time between the promise and his coming doesn't mean that he's not going to keep his promise. Well, there's an appointment not only Jesus is going to keep, but there's an appointment that every one of us are going to keep. You remember Hebrews, the ninth chapter? Remember verse 27? How many times have we heard individuals? I heard it just uh, either this past week or the week before it. I heard someone, they laugh and they say, well, you know the two things that, that all of us are always going to do. We're going to pay taxes and die. Well, no, not everybody on this earth is going to pay taxes. But there are two things that everybody's going to do. Everybody is going to die and everybody is going to stand on the day of judgment. Listen how simply this is put in Hebrews the ninth chapter and 27. Notice the word appointed. And as it is appointed, this is an appointment we're all going to keep. As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. There may be appointments we procrastinate. There may be appointments we call and we change the scheduling of them. There may be appointments that that we just call and cancel them all together. I've decided I don't want to do that. This is an appointment that we're not going to change. We're not going to procrastinate this. We are not going to put this off indefinitely. What is it? It's the appointment of death. Every one of us here has a number of days that we will live. That's about being morbid. That is, the truth is, we ought to rejoice when we realize that because according to the Lord, we'll begin to use our days more wisely. If you're living as if you're going to live forever in this body, you're going to be wasting your days because you don't realize the value of each day according to God. So whenever I realize, you know what, I'm one day closer today to eternity than what I was yesterday. I am literally marking off the number of days that I will live. And we look around and we say, wow, some of the older people here, they really have a lot less. Probably not. There's probably someone here in this audience right now that we would think it'll be years and decades before they pass away. And they may very well be the next one that passes away. What's the point? The point is, it's appointed unto everybody to die. It doesn't matter if you're the youngest one in this room. It's appointed unto you to die. And there's a second thing. It's the appointment of judgment. Every one of us will stand and we will give an account. The Lord always keeps His appointments. And we will keep those two appointments. You know, we'd be wise if we also make sure that we keep so many other appointments. We don't have time in this particular lesson to develop this, but I just ask you to realize, if you haven't kept the appointment of meeting the Lord in the waters of baptism, that's an appointment you need to keep. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 25, teaches we need to keep the appointment of when the saints come together, when they assemble together, you're there. You realize that's not a decision you make every time the saints come together. That's a decision you make one time. For the rest of my life, I'm going to always come together when the saints come together to worship. Have you made that decision? Have you made the decision to say, that's an appointment that I will always keep? When, when the Lord's church comes together to take the Lord's Supper, I will always be there. That's an appointment that has been made, and I will keep that appointment. Do you see, as we go back to our text here in Matthew, we see this powerful teaching 
where no matter what had happened, Jesus going through persecution and going into his death and then into the resurrection, where was he? He was at the appointed place at the appointed time because Jesus always keeps his appointment. And one day, you and I are going to hear a trumpet like we have never heard. And we're going to see a sight like we have never seen. And we will know immediately what it is. It's Jesus keeping his appointment. Now, as he kept his appointment, he felt the need to remind them of his authority. Because you see, at at this point, there was something that had changed about Jesus. I'd like for you to look with me just quickly at two or three passages, and and we'll bring this point together. If, If you have your Bible... Look to Philippians, the second chapter. Someone might say, what's the big deal? We know Jesus is is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Why did he have to begin by stressing authority? Well, we need to pause there for a moment. How did they know that? Who was this man? Many of them had grown up with Jesus. Many of them had seen his house. They knew that he was the carpenter's son, Mary's son. How, How did they know that he was something more than just a super teacher? Or even a man, perhaps, that at time could work miracles. But how did they know that he was anything more than that? Because after all, when he came to this earth, what is strongly implied in the passages that we're going to read is the fact that he gave up much of his authority to come to this earth. Look in Philippians, the second chapter. Let's begin reading in verse 5, 6, and 7. Notice his humility in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Notice this. But made himself of no reputation. Another translation here would say he emptied himself. In other words, the great authority that he had over heaven and earth, whenever he came in the form of mankind, he gave up some of that in order to come to this earth. Now skip down though, in verse 8 we see something happen. I'd like for you to notice the timeline here. After his death, something happened. In verse 8, in being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Note that. Even the death of the cross. What happens after his death? Therefore God also highly exalted him and has given him the the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What What is Paul telling the Philippian brethren here? He said, even though he emptied himself and he came to this earth without power, once he was resurrected, God restored power to him so that now every name, whether it's on heaven or on earth, they're going to have to bow to him. Look in Ephesians, the first chapter, and we'll just quickly note a very similar teaching. Ephesians, the first chapter. I just want to show you too where if this is something you've never thought about, you can see that Paul writes about this. And this is important and it helps us understand the setting of the Great Commission even better. And Ephesians the first chapter. We'll begin reading at verse 19. It's the very same principle that we just saw there in Philippians. Notice in 19, picking up in the middle of the sentence, and he says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now notice there's something that happened there and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly place, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, 
Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fulfills all in all. You see again, what happened after the resurrection? God gave him all power on heaven and earth after the resurrection. Now we go back to the text here and what are we reading? We're reading within 40 days of the resurrection. And it's almost as if he's standing there and he's saying, I've spoken to you and many times you have perceived me as a preacher. Well, listen, I'm a lot more than a preacher to you today. Many times you may have perceived me as a carpenter's son, a carpenter from Galilee, and that's how you see me. I'm standing today before you and I'm a lot more than just your fellow Galilean. Many of you have seen me in the last few weeks and you've seen me treated like a criminal. You have seen me executed. And I want to tell you, I died for the sins of the world, but I'm standing here today not as one where all power has been stripped away and nailed to the cross. I'm standing here today as Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the risen, resurrected Savior of mankind. We understand that because all we've ever known of Jesus is that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord of lords. But you see, He's made this appointment so that once all of this power is restored to Him, He can remind them of who He has become in the resurrected form. And so now that all of this power has been given to Him, He speaks with authority and He says, Make disciples. Go, baptize, teach, and make disciples. This morning, I told you we'd spend just a couple more minutes on that, those three columns. I want to spend time on these three columns, not to suggest to you that, that this is really uh, thought out in such a way that, that it has to be worded in this way. It's not that at all. My job is not to think for you. Our job is to come together and study God's Word and we can each think. I just want you to think about if you were making three columns and, and you were talking about in, within this great commission that the Lord gives us and one column was going to be about the going aspect of it and one part was going to be about the baptizing aspect of it and one part was going to be about the teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. How would you list these? I'm just going to read across a few of these here. The go is a command to us. The baptize is offering salvation to others. And the teach is the maturation process that, that everybody needs to go through in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Or we could go back and we could look at these lines like this. We could say going is a part of evangelism and baptism it is also a part of evangelism but it's part of a simulation. It's where we step out of the world and into Christ. It's where we stop being just an isolated individual in the world and we are part of the body of Christ. Acts 2 and 41. Those who heard the word were baptized and they were added to them. They were added to the church. And then we see that, that this is to ultimately lead in discipleship to us being fully connected to each other where we literally believe that we have no right 
and, and really no way to survive without each other. And I wish I had time to develop that, but just think about that. By God's plan, we don't survive without each other. We need to be connected. But then we could look at the going and say the going is finding individuals, and the baptizing is saving individuals, and the teaching is keeping individuals. Now, as we go through these... I've just come out of uh, two or three different meetings right before uh, the last couple hours before worship started. And, and just, I have been amazed just sitting in this meetings, hearing some of your names mentioned. I've heard so many individual names mentioned over the last two hours. And it's amazing how many of you are involved in ministry and what you're doing and what you mean to the Bible classes and what your Bible classes are doing. Whatever ministry you're involved in, just think, where does it fit on this? And how are you doing? And, and how are we as a church family doing to complete this whole process? Look at this next one, uh, the, the fourth line there. The going is an introduction to where people first learn of, of Christians. And then the baptizing is a bonding. Hey, step out of the world and come and be one of us. Who are you? We're disciples. We'd like for you to be disciples. And then, ultimately, we are so close that we're family. We mature together and we see each other truly as brothers and sisters. Or we could talk about the going being geographically. You're going to go across the street. You're going to go to school. You're going to go to another state. You're going to go to another country. But then we have the, the baptizing. You know, it's always numerical. Oh, someone, how many was baptized? One. Oh, how many was baptized? Four. Baptism always involves individuals. It's numerical. You can count it. But then notice, this continually growing is a maturing process that is spiritual. And so when someone says, well, I think, I think we just need to talk about spiritual growth. I don't really think numerical growth is important. Or someone says, I think we need to talk about numerical growth. And, and what's the big deal about spiritual growth? The Great Commission is about both. The Great Commission is about reaching individuals and helping them grow spiritually. It's daunting to think that when the Lord left here, let this sink in. There's a whole world that needs to be saved. And he left it all up to one group of people. Could we throw up our hands and say, Lord, what's plan B? If we, as your kingdom, as your church, if we don't reach out to a dying world, what's plan B? The Lord would say there is no plan B. People die lost or they die saved. And it's based upon what you, the church, does. That could really get heavy enough to drive a person mad. That could get so heavy as to disrupt even normal life. So we say, how do we deal with that? Is it even fair for Jesus to put that kind of burden upon us? And he closes this great commission with a promise. A promise that we look at and say, okay, it's a huge task, but we're going to be all right. Look at the end of verse 20. He said, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Now notice the end of 20. Jesus said to them, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Someone said, I think the Great Commission was just given to the 11 apostles. I don't believe it's given. No, 
It was given to the church because he says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. The apostles weren't going to live to the end of the age. He's talking to the future kingdom and he's saying, listen, I want you to know you're never going to be alone. You say, I'm just kind of nervous about going to work and, and, and sometimes speaking openly about my faith. Don't be nervous, you're not alone. I'm, I'm kind of nervous to talk about my friend, about the Lord. Don't be nervous, you're not alone. Or maybe someone is honestly saying, I don't know exactly how my ability fits in to the Great Commission and it disturbs me. Don't be disturbed, pray about it, seek God's will. You are not alone. Listen, God is walking with us collectively And if I'm a disciple, God is walking with me every step of the way. You're nervous about a mission trip? You will not go alone. Friends, there's an appointment. And it's an appointment that is just as real and it's more certain than whatever you have at 8 o'clock in the morning. Say, I've got school, I I have work. You just name an appointment that you have tonight or you have tomorrow. There's an appointment that is much, much, much more certain than those appointments. It's the appointment that Jesus is coming again. It's the appointment that we'll stand before Him on the day of judgment. And not only is it for us, it's for everybody we know. So the Lord gives the great commission... Say, listen, I have the authority to ask you to do this. And I promise you, I'll be with you. But go with souls in mind. Teach others about salvation because you care about their eternity. Help others grow and mature. I want to challenge you. to Pray like you've never prayed. To find a way to make a difference in other soul this week. We've studied too hard today one small passage for it not to make a difference in our life. Pray that success will be granted for an eternity because of your life as you seek to fulfill the Great Commission this week. Tonight, we still come back to that question Are you a disciple? Let's not leave here tonight without all of us being disciples. Let's make sure we're saved. If we've drifted, let's make sure that we come back. But let's make sure, let's make sure that our life is right with God. Because that day's coming. The day of death, the day of judgment. The Lord is coming again. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.